now my pleasure to introduce our own, ladies and gentlemen, Caroline Kittle, our magnificent youth pastor. Take it away, Caroline. Thanks, Ken. Um, yeah, thank you everyone for, for listening to me speak today. Um, so last week, um, Ken preached on bedtime prayer and he encouraged those of us who are interested to try adding um, like a no pressure, uh, spiritual element to our current bedtime rituals. Um, I really like taking this try it and see approach um, to my spiritual practices. And so um, some years ago, I added somewhat playfully um, a short prayer to my bedtime ritual. Um, today, I wanna share, um, I wanna share this prayer with you and I wanna share why I love it and what it means to me, um, especially as it relates to my deepest longing and greatest hope, um, the coming of peace on earth. So my bedtime prayer uh, might come as a little bit of a surprise because it's a Jewish prayer called the Shema. In Hebrew, um, Shema means to hear, and it's based on a section from the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. And I asked uh, Diane to help me paste the longer verses in the chat so you can read along. Deuteronomy four, uh, 6, 4 through 7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your hearts. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. So when I lie down and when I rise, I say the very first words of the prayer um, with like focused intention, the hero Israel. I say, I am, first I emphasize the word here. Um, I, I think it's important to um, emphasize that there's great healing in the process of hearing and li really listening to one another. Um, to hear requires an opening of our ears to hear those who are different from us. Other times when I say here, O Israel, I emphasize the word Israel. Since I'm not Jewish, in my own way, I'm reaching out. I'm saying to Israel, here, O Israel, the Lord is our God, yours and mine. The Lord is one. So I want to make um, three points about why I pray this prayer. Um, the first is that when we listen or hear one another, we reach across the divide. And second, when we say the Lord is our God, um, we're not erasing our differences or the diversity among us. We're saying that God is not just mine and not just yours, but God is yours and mine, ours. And finally, when we pray that God is one, we are affirming an experience of God's living presence, but we're also preparing for this coming unity and peace on earth among all people and amidst all the vast diversity of creation. The Shema is traditionally said at bedtime and in the morning. So this prayer spans the distance between the night and the day. When we think about um, night and day as opposites, there's this tendency to think about night as bad and day as good. But in the darkness, we use our ears to hear. The biblical tradition 
says that holiness is found in the darkness. Isaiah said those who have walked in deep darkness have seen a great light. First Kings says the Lord dwells in thick darkness. The Psalms say clouds and deep darkness surround him. Sometimes the holiest moments of our lives can occur in our darkest hours. Last week, Ken mentioned um, this ancient fear of being moonstruck that people would pray against or hoping not to get. And um, it's this fear that the moon might strike someone with madness. Um, well, many years ago, I was hospitalized for symptoms of bipolar disorder. And for me, it was the, as the Christian mystics say, like a dark night of the soul. But it was there that I first learned this prayer, the Shema. In the hospital, my roommate grew up Jewish and had an interest in Christianity. And I grew up Christian and had an interest in Judaism. So during a conversation, she asked me if I had heard of the Shema, and she said it in Hebrew. This is the prayer she taught me. She said, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, which means, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And the words blew me away. It was this profound spiritual encounter for me. I felt overwhelmed with peace and joy. I had to repeat the words over and over until I had memorized them. Um, after I had it down, she left to go to a group meeting and I continued to say the words so I wouldn't forget. My counselor walked into the room just then. She saw tears on my cheeks and asked if I was okay. I said, I'm just happy. <laughs> She kind of nodded and backed out of the room and she was like, I'll just come back later. So that was about 12 years ago and um, I've been stable for many years. Um, I take my medications, I seek balance and mental well-being. But when you have had symptoms like mine connected to God and spirituality, people wonder, is this part of the illness or is this just her? It's very humbling. So my prayer for when I speak today is that if anything I say lands for you as truth, it's it, that you know that it's from God. And if anything that I say um, doesn't sound right or fit right or doesn't make sense, it's probably just from me and you can let it go. I'm wrong often enough. Um, I, I do thank you for listening today. I believe that when we truly listen to one another and hear people tell their stories, we can bring about healing in the world. And isn't this exactly what the Hebrew word means, um, Shema, to hear? We can't hear unless there's a word, so language and hearing are connected. Rashi is a med medieval French rabbi, and he has a brilliant commentary on this verse from Deuteronomy that we're talking about today. Rashi said, the Lord who is right now the God of the Jewish people, and not the God of the other nations, he will be declared in the future the one God, as it is said, for then I will convert the peoples to a pure language, a pure language, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord. And it is also said on that day, will the Lord be one and his name one. 
this biblical commentary is saying that God will convert us to a pure language, not a specific religion. Jesus says something like this too. He surprised his disciples by engaging in dialogue with a Samaritan woman at the well. He said to her, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship, in, will worship God in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship God must worship in spirit and truth. I think it's interesting that all these three examples, from Deuteronomy to Rashi to Jesus, promote a vision that is not, my religion is better than yours, so convert, gotcha, um, type superiority among Jews, but rather it's a vision where people in all our vast diversity will speak a pure language in truth and spirit. Um, unfortunately, there is a strong tendency for people to say that the Lord God is my God and not yours unless you convert to my religion. When the Roman Empire converted to Christianity in the fourth century CE, they maintained and even gained worldly power by accusing Jewish people of not believing in Jesus in the right way. They also forced um, Jews and many other people who did believe in Jesus to give up their traditions. As one Christian theologian observed, what began in Jesus's name as Israel's hospitality towards Gentiles as Gentiles ended up as Gentiles in hospitality towards Jews as Jews. What began as welcome turned into an accusation. And there's nothing like taking a gift of the spirit and turning it into an accusation against the very people from whom it was received. So the apostle Paul, he spoke as a Jew among Jews and Jewish converts living under Roman occupation to reach out across the divide to Gentile Christians. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul says, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in, G in Christ Jesus. This is this wonderful vision of, of full inclusion and unity. It certainly did not mean that the Jew must give up being Jewish to become more Greek. Okay, and it didn't mean that the slave must become more like the oppressor. It didn't mean that feminine and gender queer people must erase themselves into male and patriarchal norms. No, God hears the cry of the oppressed. He hears and he advocates for the outsider. We've witnessed this, this unifying and fully affirming presence of the Holy Spirit here at Blue Ocean. Our differences are not grounds for accusation and exclusion when our differences give glory to God. So um, a quick summary so far, um, my, my first point about why I love 
this bedtime prayer, the Shema, is because of the word hear. When we open our ears to hear, there comes healing and connection to each other. And then my second point was that when we say the Lord is our God, yours and mine, we are recognizing, accepting, and even celebrating our diversity. The last point I want to make is about the oneness of God. So when I studied at U of M, I worked at a Middle Eastern restaurant, Kebab Palace. It was on William Street in downtown Ann Arbor. And one of my best friends who grew up Hindu, she got me the job. And over a good meal, it was perhaps the best food I've ever had, uh, religious differences did not divide us. The restaurant had two owners, Muhammad and Mahmoud. Muhammad was from Jordan and Mahmoud was from Palestine. Both were devout Muslims. We had conversations about politics, religion, and food. Um, and sadly, after 9-11, uh, I found myself scraping eggs off the windows and the glass door that someone had thrown at our restaurant. I remember one time Mahmoud saying that the conditions and loss were so bad in Palestine that many people have nothing to live for. Muhammad was the most generous, kind-hearted, and funny person. Um, he always gave me an open invitation to talk about Islam with him or his wife, but of course, only if I wanted to know more. Um, I have a distinct memory of a conversation we had. I must have said something about religion. Um, he became very emotional, and with conviction, he said, how can someone believe in three gods? There are no three gods. There is one God. God is one. Now, it can be hard to explain the beauty, the great beauty of the Trinity to people who are not Christian. And, and even in the highest Christology, we proclaim God is one. But dialogue is always a sharing of gifts. And it's a sharing of gifts across distance. I don't think that God works exclusively among Christians alone. And obviously all the nations and all the peoples of the world have gifts to share with one another. So some years after serving at Kebab Palace, um, I came upon something that the medieval Jewish philosopher, Rabbi Maimonides said about Muslims. He said, the Ishmaelites are not at all idolaters. It has already been eradicated from their lips and their hearts, and they attribute to God a oneness that is fitting, a flawless conception of oneness. This insight reflects a truth that I have found in my experiences and friendships with people who are Muslim and love God. Maimonides, you see, my, he was able to like honor the truth that he perceived in religions that opposed his own Judaism in different ways. So he wrote, all those words of Jesus of Nazareth and Muhammad who arose after him are only to make straight the path for the messianic king and to prepare the whole world to serve the Lord together. As it is said, for then I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech so that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. 
So isn't this Jesus's deepest longing and most fervent prayer that we may be one? On the night before he went to his death on the Roman cross, Jesus prayed, the glory that you, God, have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So I can't help but wonder if this prayer, Jesus's prayer on the night that he died was a bedtime prayer of sorts. Something that he prayed before he slept and when he woke up again. And in the Jewish tradition, sleep is likened to death. And the first breath of awareness that we take in the morning is likened to the resurrection. Hmm. So perhaps this prayer was Jesus's personal understanding of the words that he knew so well, Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So his prayer is my prayer. Before I close my eyes at night, I affirm God's holy, unifying presence in the darkness. And I hope for the dawn of a new day when people from every nation and all creation will know peace on earth. Mm. So, um, so I, uh, I wanted to end with a meditation and I found a poem about the moon um, that I thought was fitting for our discussion about um, bedtime rituals. Um, this poem was written by the Lubavitcher Reb of Hasidic Judaism, and he lived from 1902 to 1994. So I'll read the poem slowly as we focus on our breath, and then we'll end in a minute of silence. So um, first, I'd like you to engage your, I'm going to get my, my uh, stopwatch here. Um, engage your whole body, maybe relax your shoulders, squeeze and release your muscles, um, direct the intention of your mind. Turn the direction of your heart. Cultivate appreciation in your soul. And if you'd like, you can close your eyes. But I want you to focus um, on the way that your chest grows large and small as you breathe in and out slowly. What can we learn from the cycle of the moon? How she ever waxes and wanes and waxes again. Breathe in, breathe out. that a time of smallness is a time to become great. Breathe in. And a time of greatness is to become small. Breathe out. For in smallness lies the power to receive 
and in receiving lies the power to become great. Breathe in. And greatness endures only through its power to be small. Breathe out. And now we'll take a full minute of silence to focus on the breath. Okay, 